Welcome to The Pharmacy Benefit, a podcast that highlights the role of PBMs in serving millions of patients and consumers throughout the country. I'm J.C. Scott. When we think about innovation in healthcare, our first thought may be the essential innovation that happens in the development of new drugs, treatments, and cures. But there is another important area where innovation is happening every day, innovation in the delivery of care. Because PBMs work on behalf of literally millions of consumers, they have access to enormous amounts of data and a perch to see the evolving trends in healthcare, and they're leveraging that information to develop ever better ways to help individuals get and stay adherent to their prescription drugs and improve their overall care experience. Today, our goal is to understand how this works, how PBMs use data to innovate and to improve healthcare. Joining me to talk about this are two members of Humana Pharmacy Solutions. Our first guest is Dr. Mona Siddiqui, the Senior Vice President of Clinical Strategy and Quality at Humana. Mona joined Humana earlier this year, coming out of an impressive career of public service, most recently as the Chief Data Officer for HHS, where her work focused on building an institutional infrastructure for the department, leading the federal AI strategy, and finding new data-driven solutions to some of the nation's biggest healthcare challenges through public-private partnerships. In a career spanning multiple administrations, Mona has also served in senior positions at the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation and is part of the White House Social and Behavioral Sciences team. My second guest is Dr. Scott Greenwell. Scott is the Senior Vice President and Pharmacy Solutions President at Humana. He is responsible for managing Humana Pharmacy Solutions while working to develop new capabilities that support improving health outcomes. During his 15-year tenure at Humana, he played an integral role in the launch of Humana's Medicare Part D benefit, Humana's mail order and specialty pharmacy, and the Humana Pharmacy Solutions Clinical Program. A champion of managed care pharmacy, under Scott's leadership, Humana Pharmacy has been named the best in mail order pharmacy customer satisfaction in the J.D. Power 2020 U.S. Pharmacy Study. It's the third consecutive year that Humana has received this prestigious honor. In addition, for the third year in a row, Humana Pharmacy has won a Specialty Pharmacy Patient Choice Award from Zitter Insights, a division of MMIT. Scott is also an active member of several professional associations and is past president of the Kentucky Board of Pharmacy. Mona and Scott, thank you for joining me. Thanks, JC. Yeah, thank you. So speaking of innovations, this is the first time that we will have two guests on our podcast. So I'd invite you to please chime in and let's make this a conversation as we go. Uh, but Mona, maybe I'll, I'll start with you if that's okay. You spent a number of years working in health policy and in pretty interesting roles with a, with a common theme, understanding how people use healthcare, how systems serve them, and how trends can help inform new and better ways of delivering care. So let's start out at a, at a high level. Can you explain how that works, how understanding and looking at individuals' behaviors and examining those trends can help improve the system and, and how Humana is, is utilizing that approach? Yeah, no, absolutely. So first, thank you for, for having us both here. I might start, JC, since you mentioned the, the White House Social and Behavioral Sciences team, some of the work that we did during the Obama administration. Really, the, the core of the philosophy was you don't need to spend hundreds of millions of dollars in uh, changing programs or in really implementing new programs without understanding what's effective. You can use real-time data to inform the way in which you design programs, the way in which you tweak programs, almost in real time. And, and really, you know, taking sort of large-scale government programs, 
how do you think about embedding insights from behavioral science and behavioral economics into those government programs, then doing large-scale randomized controlled trials within government programs using real-time data from uh, places like CMS or FDA or, or, or others to really understand, are these changes effective in increasing uptake of the programs from all of us? Are they saving money? Are they leading to improved end user experience? Um, and I think what we demonstrated in doing that work is that again, low cost interventions that are informed by real-time data can have enormous impacts on millions of people. I, I don't think any of us or many of us realized that we were doing randomized control trials within government programs, but I think you want your government and your organizations to be as data-driven in informing program design as possible. And frankly, if the federal government can do it at scale in that way, really a lot of organizations can begin to think about building the data infrastructure and using that infrastructure to really design the best consumer experience and the best programs possible. Well, I was going to say, so translating that experience that you had on the federal government side then over to Humana, and I'm curious as, as we think about Humana's overall model, right, more of an integrated company, and there's been a lot of discussion in recent months and years about the more integrated approach with health plans and PBMs. I think it's one of the great things about the industry. It's really competitive, and there's a lot of different models of PBMs out there for health plans to, to choose from standalone and integrated, but but talk about how being part of that integrated model at Humana allows you to, to do similar work now in your, in your new role. Yeah, I'll, I'll start and then maybe I'll let uh, Scott chime in as well. You know, I, I think across the enterprise, if you look at the various assets that Humana has, whether it's the insurance side or the assets within the home segment or the assets within the pharmacy segment, the question really is that what you're what you're bringing up, JC, is how do, how do all of those work together and show up for consumers together? And oftentimes these units, for very good reasons, have been operating in silos, right? So the question is, is how do we bring the data together to inform that program design? We can get into it a little bit more, but I would just say that a very recent example of this has been within uh, the COVID experience as well, right? As we've been trying to figure out what are the needs of our members? The, the data on um, the pharmacy side and the PBM side has been really critical in helping us understand what members are facing, what sort of their urgent conditions are, what they're facing in terms of immediate needs, and how we go about addressing those potentially through some of the different assets across, across Humana. So for me, that's a really salient example of um, how we need to come together as an, as an organization. Scott, I'll let you chime in here as well. Yeah, th thanks, Mona. I think that's a great example. And it's certainly been an interesting year this year with COVID and, and bringing a lot of this to life in an accelerated way. But, you know, you know, my my entire career with Humana, which is now, it's hard to believe it's already been uh, a little more than 15 years, has really been through the lens of an integrated PBM. And we think of our health insurance segments as, an, you know, an extension of the work that we do and, and likewise for them. And part of that is because we're, A, we're able to align incentives so that we're all focused uh, on the same end goal and making sure that just from a foundational perspective, we're incentivizing each other to think through the lens of big H, which is what we kind of call Humana as an enterprise uh, is, is big H. So 
you know, whether it be thinking through trend and trend benders, whether we're thinking through pipeline and the impact of innovation on not just the PBM, but also our health plan segments and helping them anticipate and plan for you know, costs that will come at them uh, in the future to the, the relation that our pharmacies have in driving better customer satisfaction scores. And JD, JC, sorry, you mentioned uh, JD Power as a mechanism. It's, it's really is a, I think, a testament to our commitment to our customers, which are the health plan customers. And what we also know is that, you know, those that utilize our pharmacy uh, experiences have better um, net promoter scores with the health plan as well. So it really becomes a symbiotic relationship between the health plan and the PBM. Terrific. And I, I'd like to, to to dovetail a little bit off something that, that Mona mentioned about the experience during COVID and just maybe dig in there for a little bit before we come back to talk some more about the, the pharmacy-specific uh, work that you all are doing at, at Humana. But I, I'm, I'm curious for, for either or both of you, I know Humana has done some work looking at social determinants of health, and I'm, I'm wondering um, what you're seeing in terms of impact on consumers and patients during COVID. You know, it's adding to financial instability, challenges for childcare, challenges with transportation and getting access to healthcare providers. What are you all observing from your perch at Humana, and, and how are you thinking about addressing that as a company? Yeah, maybe I'll start, and then um, Scott, please chime in. So, you know, we very early on in the pandemic got a charge from our leadership to say, we have to think about how we reach out to all our members and to see how we address their needs proactively. Hmm. Um, and, you know, it wouldn't be surprising, I think, to, to many people that those needs often were not around, you know, your missed doctor's appointments. Those were needs, basic needs around access to food around people feeling incredibly lonely. The levels of anxiety were incredibly high. Obviously, some sort of essential kind of preventive things that needed to happen for members weren't happening. And, you know, things like transportation, access. And so, so I think the lesson really was, you know, when you think about being consumer-centric, it's not about addressing the needs as we're seeing them, but the addressing the needs as we're encountering them when we're making these calls, right? And and providing the space for each of these members that we reached out to, to not just go through our own checklist, but to say, you know, what are the what are their needs and how can we help? And you know, I think there was an enormous, and I'm sure other organizations have gone through this as well, but an enormous organizational effort to say, uh, what are our current capabilities that we can really help put towards these member needs? And what might we not have right now where we really need to be agile and build partnerships to address those needs? I think it was a Herculean effort to really reach out to all of those members and to make sure that there was a safety net that was getting provided but then also to create that channel. So as those needs evolved, that they were reaching back out to us and, and, and we were building some of that muscle. Again, I don't think it would be a surprise. We don't have great data when it comes to social determinants of health, right? So um, I think like other organizations, there's a lot that um, we need to do. I think there's a lot that Humana has done with our bold goal efforts, but I think we probably all understand right now social determinants of health and health equity just is paramount for, for all of us, and we have to double down on some of those efforts. Thanks, Mona. And, and Scott, I'd be curious how you're seeing that manifest on the 
on the pharmacy side of the business? Sure. So, Jason, you know, from from my lens, you know, we have the honor and privilege to to serve, you know, a, a pretty large Medicare population, which is also, frankly, one of the most vulnerable populations uh, that were impacted by by COVID, and and we certainly saw a a change in terms of expectations for how we were going to be living our lives. Uh, you know, this the, the concept of social distancing, which was frankly relatively a, a new idea, became Part of everybody's vernacular and vocabulary, you know, starting in in late February and, and in March, and you know that, that also resonated with our seniors, probably more so than than anyone else. And concerns around access, concerns around you know how were they going to get their prescription drugs, to you know changes that we needed to just contemplate related to policies and processes around clinical coverage and utilization management. So we had a lot of different tactics that we really had to think through to make sure that we weren't getting in the way of our members' well-being. So we we allowed for early prescription refills to allow you know our our members to stockpile so they had a supply at home they didn't feel like they needed to go out and risk exposure. We increased our ability and capabilities around mail delivery from both our mail order pharmacy as well as from our retail partners um, and making sure that they had the ability to, to mail to members to avoid um, members and patients having to, to come out of their homes and take that risk to you know, specific drug coverage policies that may have required a, a specific test or a certain lab value for us to do those clinical reviews. We, we made, a, made a decision pretty early on to uh, amend those policies during the pandemic to not put our members at risk so that they could go get a lab drawn or a test performed mm-hmm. just in order to satisfy our prior authorization criteria requests. So we try to stay flexible and to make sure that we, we're really thinking member back in how we're designing our processes and, and keeping our, our members safe. And I'm curious for, for either or both of your perspectives on, on how many of these behavioral changes and how many of these Humana policy changes you think are, are going to in, endure uh, if and when we get out of this, this state of pandemic. Certainly, that's kind of an existential question for so many aspects of our lives that have changed. Like, is it going to go back to normal or is this the new state of affairs? But, but what do you see as you look down the road? I think, JC, from, from my lens... We keep talking about a new normal, meaning, and, and really by definition, that what what we were doing prior to February of 2020 may likely never fully come back to the same reality that we that we once knew. I think the uh, the landscape has changed, and I think from from some from some parts of it, maybe more challenged and and trying to navigate how to stay socially distanced, how to stay healthy, but still have a balanced life and and you know, one that's full of, of well-being. Uh, but then there's other things like tele, like I think mail delivery, and not just for for healthcare, but broadly. You know, we've we've heard from a lot of our shipping partners that they've they've seen an incredible uptick in volume and just the number of people buying and purchasing items via the mail. We we've certainly seen it on the pharmacy side in terms of mail order utilization has come up. I don't think things like that uh, we'll, we'll put back in the bottle. I don't think we'll put tele-capabilities that have been built over the last several months. I don't see how that gets put back into a bottle because I think it's enabling 
better access to care, uh, which I think at the end is always a good thing for members and patients. Uh, Mona, I'm not sure if you had anything else you'd add to that. Yeah, no, I would just say, I think the consumer expectations have changed pretty fundamentally. Uh, You know, I'll just give one example, which really struck me. We stood up this program for enabling COVID testing in the past few months. And there's a sort of a a self-service option there and an option where folks can choose to have somebody from Humana call them and help uh, walk them through the process. And, you know, to Scott's point, our largest membership is our, our seniors. And I was really struck that actually the option for having somebody call you um, seemed to be not just not preferred, but a, a point where people would actually stop the process. There was a desire to have an end-to-end digital experience uh, that was seamless, that did not need an individual to call you or walk through walk you through it to facilitate. So really, I think it, you know it's Amazon's and 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 the likes have really changed consumer expectations. And if you can provide that service, I think what we're seeing is that that's where the demand really is. And from a healthcare perspective, we haven't really met that. And and there's a there's a runway there for us to to get there. That's that is that is fascinating to me because I always thought one of the limitations to some of these more telehealth and automated programs was that lack of human interaction that you know people could get at the pharmacy counter or in the physician's office. But it sounds like that assumption is actually the opposite of, of what you all have found. This has been a uh, a passion of ours because I think the reality is. You know, consumers' experiences broadly is defining their expectations for what is simple and, and mm-hmm. how a digital process should work. I think for a long time, the healthcare system had built its digital capabilities in, in showing members their own workflow in a digital way to members versus a, a purely digital native entity who designed the process in a member back lens, not in the reverse. And consumers have become accustomed to how simple and streamlined and effortless those processes can be. And their expectation is that's how all of their digital experiences should exist. And and I don't think healthcare is gonna get a buy in terms of uh, not being held to that same, same expectation. Yeah, we all expect more and more out of our technology these days. It, it, it's really? true. And I'm curious if you could talk, Scott and Mona, a little bit about how you're able to leverage some of those technological advances to address what have traditionally been kind of points of abrasion for people in the system when it comes to, I think, Mona, you touched on it earlier, things around prior auth or step therapy or those things that used to take quite a bit of time for the back and forth between the patient, the provider, and the, and the insurance plan. Um, it strikes me that real-time benefit tools, some of these other innovations are, are starting to address some of those points of abrasion, but, but what's your experience been? This is an area that we've been at for, for some time. I mean, Humana was probably the pioneer of leveraging the real-time benefit check transaction way back in, in 2015. And at the time, 
you know, we, we made a significant investment in, you know, pursuing this level of transparency in a time where, frankly, most of the industry wasn't ready for it yet. You know, you had most of your uh, EHR and EMR partners were focused on the ICD-10 conversion. So we, we knocked on a lot of doors back in those early days and said, yeah, we're, we're interested. However, come back and see us in a couple of years when we get back on the other side of ICD-10. But, but today, you know, we are leveraging the insights that we generated in those early days to make sure that when we built that capability, it was built to be an effortless process within the physician's existing workflow. The last thing we wanted to do was to build some new process that the physician had to exit their natural workflow as part of that patient visit and go somewhere else to go look something up. So we built it in integrated part of that physician's workflow. And, and really the, the feedback that we got from the provider community was, this is what our, you know, what we've been expecting from EMRs since when, you know, since day one, this is what we were sold that, you know, moving to EHRs and, and EMRs would bring in terms of transparency around data, transparency around cost and, and benefits and we've certainly leveraged uh, a lot of additional relationships and are continuing to expand those capabilities beyond just the, the physician's tablet to pharmacies, as well as to trying to figure out how do we put that type of capability in the member's hands. So they have a member-guided tool that's leveraging kind of the real-time benefit capabilities to enhance their, their experiences. And I think it's worth reminding everyone, right, that these these utilization management steps are really important as part of the overall approach to managing drug costs and trying to keep costs down for everybody within the system. But it strikes me if you can address these points of abrasion and minimize the procedural impact on patients and providers that maybe helps with people who traditionally have been unhappy with and uncomfortable with some of those tools. That, that's right. We, we've, we've taken all of that complexity and in a, in a millisecond transaction are informing the provider at that patient visit during the, you know, in, in the office, is the drug covered? If it, you know, if it's, if it's not covered, what are the preferred products? If there are formulary alternatives, what's it going to cost? And not just at, you know, Acme Pharmacy, but if there's a preferred benefit uh, that the, the member may have using one pharmacy or over another, it will inform them of that as well. And at the end of the day, you know, if the, the provider decides that you know, this is the right, most appropriate therapy for, for my patient, they can, in the same workflow, select a electronic prior authorization and file that all on the same screen in the same workflow. So trying to leverage as much as we can the physician's natural workflow to make that process easy to remove as much of that friction as possible. If I could shift gears just a little bit, but still staying on the this theme of, of managing cost while innovating, I know you all have had a number of disease-specific clinical initiatives that you've been looking at in the PBM space. I think that's most relevant to the work we try to do around specialty drugs, which represents a pretty large share of over the overall drug spend. I think the latest estimate was about 39% of the overall drug spend. And the challenge, of course, there is that there's not often therapeutic alternatives to leverage competition to address costs on specialty drugs. Can you talk about some of the disease-specific clinical initiatives that you have underway that try to address part of that cost question, but, but also just the, the overall 
uh, patient need for those clinical areas? Yeah, and maybe just you know, sort of a bit of a higher level. So I, first, I would say, you know, the, especially drug access and affordability challenges for, for members uh, are an incredibly high priority for, for Humana. We know in the traditional rebate arrangements and, and utilization management techniques, you know, really help stabilize healthcare costs and, and help to drive affordability uh, across, the, across the entire space. But in the specialty world, given the, the small populations and that, frankly, you know, many specialty drugs treat are unique and often lack competition, the traditional rebate tools and arrangements typically don't lend themselves to, to those same specialty categories and, and, and limited competition. So we've tried things like you know, value-based contracting and, and techniques uh, such as that, which in some scenarios work well. In other scenarios, they, they do what uh, the FDA has told us, which is they study these products and these products work when they're approved. Um, so a lot of times they're, they're confirming what I think most of us already know. But we are pursuing specifically in oncology and, and in orphan drugs, trying to figure out if that's the right sweet spot for where value-based contracting and those types of relationships can come to life. And then in terms of the, the clinical programs, you know, Humana has a, a program, we call it UM Ultra. And really what it's intended to do is, is to create a path in which we can create a personalized approach to utilization management that wouldn't normally fit your, your cookie cutter approach to prior auth or step therapy or other management tools. And, and we look at by drug, by disease state, and then ultimately to the unique member and try to figure out what are the cost savings opportunities for that member, whether it be dose optimization. And you know, we, we see examples where members are started out on the loading dose of a specialty drug and ultimately that loading dose never changes and they continue on as a, as a maintenance dose. So making interventions with providers to create awareness there to trying to figure out if there's vial optimization and, and making sure that we're maximizing the patient value at the drug cost. So we're, we're constantly thinking through and leveraging you know, different techniques to, to manage those utilization management opportunities by the ones in addition to you know, our traditional prior authorization processes and, and the like. Terrific. Thanks. Thanks, Scott. Uh, I know we're getting close to the end of end of our time. I did want to sh- shift back just to one more question related to the pandemic and then uh, one closing question for each of you. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, either of you, about your work to promote access to COVID testing, which has proven to be uh, obviously testing a, a key component of the ongoing effort to try and turn the tide on on this virus. Um, I know you've, you've done some work there, and I'm, I'm curious what you could share. So obviously, this is something I think we all have to be focused on at every level to make sure that we're addressing the pandemic head on and testing is a core component of that. In addition to obviously covering the cost of, of the COVID testing, we've um, sort of stood up a program to facilitate testing for our members. So we entered into a partnership with LabCorp Pixel where um, any member who wanted a at-home testing kit would be able to get an at-home testing kit. And again, we, you know, we've seen a significant usage of that even by our um, MA members, even though the process is completely online and, and digital. 
But that has really facilitated, I think, access to testing and, and provided comfort, I think, for members who have been fearful, especially in the early days of this, of leaving their homes. We also entered into a national partnership with Walmart where members could go through now about 550 Walmart stores across the country and go through their drive-throughs and and get a, a PCR test done. And again, we would facilitate sort of the entire process, you know, from uh, being able to check their symptoms digitally to being able to refer them, uh, take care of the authorization on the back end, and then for them to get the uh, test results as well. I think it has been interesting that we've seen less uptake in the in the drive-through process, but really significant usage of the at-home, which again I think has been a trend that's been accelerated in the pandemic time. Thanks, Mona. That's important work that you all are doing, and you surprised me again. And it's interesting because we started the conversation around the value of looking at some of these behavioral trends, and and twice in our conversation, I've been surprised that what you found in analyzing people's decision-making and behaviors on some of these things is kind of counterintuitive, at least for at least for me. Well, I think it supports where Humana has been going for many years around our investments in, in the home segment, right? So mm-hmm. um, how do we enable more care in, in home and community-based settings? And obviously getting the mail-in pharmacy, I think that's a, all of that really, I think is the sort of Humana bet that more members would prefer to get that care in home and community-based settings. So final question for for both of you, a little bit bigger picture. Mona, you're about six months into the job now. And and Scott, eight months in, actually. Eight months. Eight months. <laughs> Grand well, total. <laughs> it did take a while for us to schedule this podcast. So that's <laughs> my script is outdated. Uh, and Scott, Scott, you're uh you're about a year into your latest role with the company, is that right? That's right. That's right. So, so what have you each found most rewarding during your time in these roles? And what are you ex- most excited about looking ahead for your work with the company? So first of all, let's not compare my eight months to, to Scott's uh, 14 or 15 <laughs> years at Humana. <laughs> Look, I, I really do think that Humana is, and this is why I came to Humana, that an MA member, an MA plans incentives are really aligned to take care of the member in, in, in the way in which they want to be cared for. You know, I think that Humana has made significant investments within um, the data and digital infrastructure, which is really the future. If you look at our partnership with Microsoft and Salesforce, I think if you look at our investments within um, primary care, within the home segment, within pharmacy, these are, these are all investments in how we enable that care uh, where the member is. And so to me, I think the magic really happens in, in being able to use the data and the, and the long-term investment that Humana is making to provide those digital experiences and to sh- make Humana really show up as one. You know, to Scott's point about big age, how do these programs show up in a seamless way to enable a ideal consumer experience rather than point solutions, which is traditionally what healthcare has been. And, and then, Tracy, for for me, just as Mona mentioned, I guess it's hard to, it's still hard to believe it's been on now almost 16 years that I've had the opportunity to join the company. And it started out with Humana as a staff pharmacist um, many, many, many moons ago. And I've had the opportunity to leverage, you know, a lot of first for Humana and experience and be a part of a lot of first, whether it be 
you know, the uh, origination of Medicare Part D back in 06 to launching, you know, our mail and specialty pharmacy offerings to, frankly, countless clinical uh, intervention programs to drive better health outcomes. And then we, and we talked about real-time benefit checks. So I've, I've had a lot of pretty incredible first opportunities and it'd be impossible for me to pick, pick just one. But over the last year, it, it's really been probably twofold. One, it's trying to figure out how to more deeply remove those friction points out of the healthcare system and, if, and figuring out um, how to leverage big data and advanced anal- analytics to start predicting decision outcomes that we would likely make and, and how can we leverage those types of capabilities to remove even more friction points. I think that is going to be a bit of a game changer for us. And I'm excited that that's part of the, the future. I would say the other piece is, is really around, we referenced this earlier as well, is the digitization of, of pharmacy. For way too long, pharmacy has been forcing consumers and, and members and patients to navigate our messy workflow, and, and it is messy. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to, to consumers. And we've been incredibly focused over the last year of how do we evolve that experience to make it one that's more consistent, more contemporary with what most consumers expect a digital experience to be. Because I think if we can remove the pain points of the experience, then we can get to having deeper conversations with members about their overall health and whatever you know, pharmacy gaps or, or gaps in care that they may need to address. This allows us a, a deeper permission space to engage in that versus the noise of the workflow of the process. Thanks, Scott. And I, I will say from my perspective, so sitting here in DC at an association that spends a lot of time with policymakers, those points of friction are often what we hear the most about and the policymakers attempt to address in a very broad brush way. If you all are able to continue down the path that it seems that you're on and helping to spread the word about uh, how those points of friction are being addressed. I think that'll be really important for the industry collectively. So thank you for your leadership on that. Absolutely. It's a, it's a big portion of our, of our mission and uh, I'm really excited about the progress we're making. Well, Mona and Scott, thank you both so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed the uh, opportunity to visit with you. Thank you. Likewise, JC. Thank you. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening. As always, I encourage you to subscribe to The Pharmacy Benefit and download all of our podcast episodes. You can do that on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. I'm JC Scott. Thanks for joining me.